pick up verse 12. I'll read out loud. It says, uh, for our boasting is this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is defending himself against folks who consider him to be fickle and unreliable. And he comes out and he basically just simply states that he is writing in a clear conscience and that the church at Corinth is going to understand this. Um, I find it interesting that as, um, as human beings, we tend, to, we tend to miscommunicate with one another. Uh, one of my favorite forms of communication, sadly, um, and I say that in all sincerity, is texting. I hate emails. Um, I, I, I seldom answer my phone because it just rings a lot. Um, and I get inundated with emails, uh, even texting. I have over a hundred texts that I still, and every time I try to get rid of them, there's more. It's just, it's, but what I find in texting is you can't really get emotion across in texting and people, if you use cap locks, are you yelling at me? I'm not sure what we're doing here. And it's, it's, and people use emojis. I'm sorry, Mark, what? Yeah, you always add smiley faces. And as husbands, we tend to not do that. And do you love me? Yes, look at the emoji. <laughs> but I was, I was communicating with a brother the other day, and I texted him. And immediately by the response, I could tell that he didn't, he didn't understand what I was communicating and received it in a defensive ma- manner. So I responded by saying, I see you're defensive, and I don't think... I, I, I probably didn't communicate that very well. And trying to do this, um, and then we, we came to an understanding, but we had to go back and forth with it. Imagine you don't have a phone to call. You got a letter that takes months to get to the person. And uh, you can't defend your letter or what anyone else is saying. And by the time the letter arrives and the things that they're accusing you of, you can imagine the emotions involved in it and the anger that's built up. And, and Paul's pretty frustrated Um, and he's basically saying, look, I'm dealing with you in simplicity. My yes is yes. And my no is no. It's, it's not confusing. And if you think it's confusing, you're adding more that's there because the church at Corinth had a cynical heart and cynicism is always dangerous. Um, Paul wanted them to understand, but this, this cynical nature that they had, they had been, everyone had an agenda. Uh, and every preacher that would come in had an agenda. Um, as, as, a, as a minister, I see that all the time. You sit down, and you're, you're going to counsel folks. Um, and the first thing you have to, the hardest thing in counseling is getting to the truth. And, and for many folks, the truth is subjective. And they're going to kind of design and, and create their own defense of themselves. And you spend all the time just trying to get to the bedrock. And that's just really yielded before God in complete openness. Folks will say they're there, but they're not. And, and, and Paul is saying, look, 
what I'm saying, I mean. There's no hidden meaning to it. Um, you find this all the time. I'll, I'll get a text from somebody I haven't heard from in a long time. And I'll get a text. And I'll respond to the text. And the next thing I know, it's, going, it's now a solicitation for help. And what they were doing is they were reconnecting uh, the relationship, or at least the connection, so that, because they had a need. They didn't want to talk to me. They just knew that I had the ability to help them in some capacity, so they reconnect. And immediately you look at that and you say, okay, this, this was an agenda. And it makes me, as a minister, cynical at times. I must be the only one in the room with that problem. But this is the cynicism that the church is facing and, and Paul doesn't, he's not trying to manipulate them. He has no hidden truth or hidden, hidden meanings in what he's saying. He, he truly wants them to understand this. And so uh, he says, now I trust you will understand even to the end as also you have understood us in part. And he's saying you don't completely understand us. And we're going to want to clarify this, that we are your boast. You are also ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. He loves this church. He boasts about them. He knows they have struggles. But he wants this simplicity and this godly sincerity. And this is one of the coolest things about people who walk with the Lord. If you're really walking with the Lord, there is a complete sincerity. I don't feel like I'm trying to be sold anything. Anyone ever had that experience? You've been in the presence of folks that you're just like, this is a real deal. I, I am really just enjoying your presence. I don't feel like you're trying to sell me anything. I don't feel like I, I'm being manipulated. Isn't that pleasant? I was, um, I'll, I'll share this story with you. I, I flew to Dallas, Texas, landed, and I knew that I had to have my carry-on because I hate to check luggage because it always gets delayed or lost. And I had my carry-on. I always bring carry-on. I never check luggage. I don't care if it's a two-week trip. I am not checking luggage. So I get to the airport, and I have some honey that I want to bring to the folks I'm visiting. And you can't check that. I mean, you can't walk that through um, carry-on. So I put it in my luggage. I go up to the counter, and I check it. And I said, this is going to make the flight. Oh, yes, sir. It's, it, and, and it's good. Yes, sir. Okay. I land. I'm waiting at the carousel. Everyone leaves. Nothing. I go to the guy. I think, oh, yeah, uh, your flight bag didn't make it on. You just want to go back to LAX and find the person. You know what I'm saying? Anywho, they it'll be here in about an hour, be here in two hours, you know, and, and all the storms have come in. Well, it's in Wichita and and just getting out of control. And I have to be somewhere. I have a two-hour drive to get there. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I bring honey? Why did I do this? Like, I could be where I need to be, and it's frustrating. And I look at the guy, and he's he's been doing this job a long time. And I'm important, and apparently he doesn't understand that. I am the center of the universe. I, my, my priority is really what you need to be about right now. And as I'm, I'm expressing how concerned I am about my bag not being here, he looks up and he says, you know, you can get upset. You can get angry with me. I'm used to it. But it's not going to get your bag here any quicker. I have 
clearly shared with you everything I have, and your back's not here. I have been candid with you, and your back's not here. You can talk to me a thousand different ways, and your bag's not here. You can tell me what an important part, your bag's not here. And I looked down and I started laughing and I go, you know what, thank you. I, I just, I really thought myself a little too important. And the reality is, the universe doesn't change for me. And I'm going to go now and when you get the bag, can you, yeah, I'll get it there. It may get there, may not, you know what I'm saying. But we're going to, when it gets here, I know where to send it. And he said, you know, go do what you got to do. I said, thank you. And it was relieving. I, I, I love the candidness of the man. Others would have wanted him to lie to them and say, oh, it'll be on the next flight. So I get to that place, and, and, I, and I'm with the Wilkes, the folks that help with this facility. And it was raining. And he had built a dam uh, to create a lake on his property. He had a small pond, and, he, and everyone said, oh, it'll never, never be a lake. Well, this storm is just awful. And we're out on the thing, and it's filling up. And within, within two days, this entire lake fills up. It was fascinating. He said, they said it would take 15 years and it was done in two days. And I thought, wow. And he's just marveling at God and the provision and how the Lord had shown him to do this. And, and he's just standing there and I'm quiet, kind of standing there. And I told him the story about the, the baggage guy. He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, you know what, Dan? He reminded me a lot of you. He goes, why is that? I said, well, you and Stacy have the Heavenly Father Foundation, $200 million in it. Yeah. And you get asked for money a thousand different ways. He goes, yeah. People think my money is the solution to their problems. He said, I bet you you've heard every presentation. He goes, yep. He said, there's been some good ones where they got us, but it's like an Amway deal. I don't care what they do. They'll come around. Then all of a sudden, boom, oh, money. Okay. And I go, you're a bit cynical. He goes, yeah. Yeah, I get cynical. I mean, you're sitting with somebody who's got money, you're going to want to ask him for money. And they're tired of that. And, and all they look like to other people is a dollar sign. And I, I, I thought, the sincerity is what they probably long for of people that just see them as people. And, and that's what Paul wants here. You see, there's a struggle for the authority in the church, and so they're trying to make themselves, at, at Paul's expense, a little more important. Paul writes in verse 15, he says, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. What he's saying is, I, I wanted to come and be a second benefit. I was with you the first time. I want to come again. I wanted to be a benefit to you. I really wanted to come and teach you. I wanted to instruct you. I wanted to share with you all the things the Lord had put on my heart. I wanted to teach you... Um, doctrine and, and go through the word with you. I really wanted to do that. And, and I was planning to do it pass, uh, to pass by way of you to Macedonia. I was going to go north. Paul's original, uh, Paul planned to travel from Ephesus to Asia Minor across the Aegean Sea, direct to Corinth and southern Greece, and then north to northern Greece, Macedonia, before returning via Corinth. Uh, instead, he, he had gone first to Macedonia. And you can see that in Acts chapter 20. Um, it's because of this changes, these changes that occurred that Paul's op opponents and those that want to gain power in the church are now accusing him of fickleness. And here Paul's describing it to me. He said, let me just tell you what happened. This was my intention, and it never happened. I wanted to come to you and be a blessing. I was going to come to you um, 
by way of Macedonia and come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. When he meant by being helped by you on my way to Judea, he was collecting an offering for the church in, in Israel or in Jerusalem. And he was coming, he was going to get some offerings from the church to bring food because there was a, a big uh, famine in the land. And then Paul writes in verse 17, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. What he's saying is, this was my plan. It wasn't fickle. It wasn't by the flesh. It was prayerful. I'd laid it out. This was the direction. I, I wanted to come and benefit you, and I wanted to return and benefit you, and then we were going to take... Pro- we had this whole laid out. This is, this is what the intention was. My yes was yes, and my no was no. And this isn't a gimmick with me. What I told you I meant, and what I wrote you I meant, and I had every intention. But he writes verse 18. He says... But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. What he's saying is, if you're going to question my character, then you're going to question the message. And the same message Sylvanus preached and the same message Timothy preached and the same message I preached is yes is yes and no is no. And it's legitimate and there's, there's no agenda. It is exactly, and if you want to question it, then you, 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 you have assumed in areas you need not assume. Love hopes all things. And this was our intention, our action was contrary and it wasn't because of us. And I love the fact that in this trial where Paul is being attacked by the church, we get one of the best scriptures for memorization in the Bible. And it comes out of heartache. Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. What a great verse to memorize. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and in him, amen. You know what amen means? True. So be it. To the glory of God through us. And through this heartache, through this, this accusation, through this pain Paul's facing, we get one of the best verses in Scripture for memorization, one that blesses me in, in some of the darkest hours of life. Verse 21, now he who established us with you in Christ has, also, has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our heart as a guarantee. I love this idea of anointing because it's something that the Jews would understand that every single one of the priests was anointed um, in the Old Testament. Oh, I lost my place. And every one of the priests in the Old, Old Testament was anointed, but he also adds this idea of a seal. And he talks about this, this um, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit, capitalized, in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul was declaring this picture that the Holy Spirit is, a, is, is a, a promissory note of what awaits us. And in that same Holy Spirit that he's been sealed with, we've been sealed with, and it's a guarantee. And, and God who promised is faithful. And, and, and Paul is, is pointing out that this anointing on us is from God. This isn't me. This isn't somebody cynical coming to you know, pitch you on a multi-level marketing spiel. This is sincere. This is my calling and my anointing. We're going to see later in the passage that Paul endures a lot for the sake of this church. As we saw the lashings that he received and the beatings that he endured and the shipwreck that he was subject to. 
And, and as he declares this, this spirit guarantee and this declaration of the Lord in his life and this anointing upon him, especially as an apostle, um, it's, I, I, I want to read this to you. Um, he refers, Paul refers to three aspects of the Holy Spirit's work within us. He's anointed us. This idea is that we're prepared and empowered for service. Paul said, I'm anointed. He sealed us. Um, it was used to identify and protect in the ancient world. If something was sealed, everyone knew who it uh, belonged to, and the seal was an insignia. It belonged to Rome. It belonged to the uh, procurate, whatever it was. If it was sealed, nobody was allowed to tamper with it or mess with it. And then he says guarantee. That's the third area. A guarantee is the word for down payment. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment for the fullness of what God will do. And the Holy Spirit is a pledge of greater things to come. And, and Paul knew that their accusations were wrong based on, on his own personal reasons. He laid these out. And he says, I call God as a witness. Look at verse 23. Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Um, you know, the, the scripture says that we shouldn't take an oath in some respects, but Paul is declaring that my, my soul bears witness with his spirit that I knew what my intentions were. I had given it to God. He knows my heart. I don't waver in that capacity. But he says that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Um, the Corinthian church thought that Paul didn't come for selfish reasons. He was still going to come, but truly, he makes declaration that he didn't want to. And I want to walk you through this because um, even though Paul had issue with the church at Corinth, God changed his path. And, and I want to set the stage a little bit for you. Um, you ever had a course change in your life? Okay, good. Something yeah, zigzag. You've been doing some tacking, Michelle. Yeah. Um. You know, and and I I don't want to. You know, bring up stories that you've heard a thousand times. But suffice it to say, some of the most critical course corrections in my life. I, I was talking, and I think I brought it up a couple weeks ago about a young man who devastated by a breakup. And I said, you know, I. I couldn't envision myself with anyone else but the person I was seeing at the time and my life was set in this direction on and on and on and, and then it all changed and I was devastated and I didn't think I could, I, I didn't eat and, and I just broken hearted. And I, I just going through life where you just think I, this is so overwhelming. And it really, it really is, the, the one thing that you have to understand is all it, all it requires in life is perspective. You are seeing with your own eyes your circumstance and your situation and you just can't fathom how this could ever work out for good. And then you get down the road a number of years and you look behind you and you go, thank God that never came to fruition. I couldn't be more blessed than I am now. Praise you, Lord. Paul had every intention to go to Corinth. 
Um, I, I read to you earlier, and I want to show you up here. Paul planned to travel from Ephesus in Asia Minor, across the Aegean Sea, direct to um, Corinth and southern Greece, and um, then north, uh, then to northern Greece, Macedonia, before returning via Corinth. And instead, he's gone first to Macedonia, Acts 20, and it's because of these changes his opponents in Corinth accuse him of fickleness. Uh, just so you get an idea, in, in Greece here, you can see Athens. I think I got a pointer here. Oh, yeah, I do. So it's not working, but oh, yeah, but you lose it in the... See, look, there's the green, and then, bonk, gone. <laughs> Worthless. There's Athens, there's Corinth, and you see Macedonia in the north. So Paul's intention um, was, was that. And he gets, he gets uh, blown off course. And before I get into uh, more of the passage, drop with me, if you will, um, to chapter 2. We're only going to do four, four verses in chapter 2. But I, I want to emphasize this and take a look at it, if you would. Paul says, and, and there's not chapter breaks in the original Greek. So Paul's just writing, and, and they, they connect. He says, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, um, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Um, they're saying he's, he's unreliable and untrustworthy because he didn't keep his promise. God changed his course, and he, doesn't, he looks at it and he thinks, you know, it, is, it seems on the surface devastating, but I, as I have kind of meditated on the course correction with the winds blowing and where God brought me, I kind of see how this is working out together for good, as God always promises, because everything in him concerning his promises are yes and amen. And had I got, come to you when I said I'd come to you, I would have been really upset. We had, um, we had an elders meeting on Sunday, and um, we had an issue that, you know, was, was pretty intense. It was good. It was very good. We have a great elder board. And it got intense to the sense that there was a, a commitment here and, and a disagreement here. And, and we came to a resolution via scripture. And as I was talking with one brother, their comment was, I told him, I said, why don't you wait 24, maybe 48 hours before you... You, you, you respond to this. Don't react, just respond. Wait until, until everything kind of calms down. He goes, yeah. And he goes, like the illustration with Lincoln, how he writes the letters that he never mailed. He talked to the curator at the Lincoln Library in Springfield, Illinois. Lincoln's got all these letters he never mailed and this really small stack of letters that went out. Because he'd just be furious. Our current president would do wise to listen to Lincoln. <laughs> But there's this, you know, Paul just said, because of the time I had, my heart calmed down. Your letter 
infuriated me. When I get a letter from folks that's caustic, and, and I know you can attest to this, you get the letter and your, your first reading, you can barely get through it and every attack is highlighted And you, oh, 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 and you're just building this case, and you're like, then you wait a day, and you come back to it. Well, okay, I kind of misread that. Well, oh, okay, I didn't see that. Still upsetting. Oh. And he put it away again. And he come back to it later. You know, there's truth, even in an insult. I understand how they're feeling. And I don't ever respond to a letter until I can see it from the vantage point of the person who wrote it. That my heart is on their side writing to me. Now, I know me. And I know that they can have misunderstandings or misperceptions. But I, I, I want to look at my actions. I want to see. And usually God just causes me to, to calm down. I was with another council member. And we were in a, a committee meeting for homelessness. Uh, we had somebody who was upset that we didn't give a larger portion of money to their organization. And they actually wrote us an email. Both myself and the other council member wrote us this email and were very, very fervently upset. And I'm thinking to myself, I was just back in Washington, D.C., lobbying on behalf of the city, going in six or seven meetings, and we've been doing this, you know, trying to talk to U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, talking to the NEA, talking to, I mean, going from building to building, and all this money, and, they're, they're, and, and the work that's involved in it, and the years that it takes, and you have to keep pushing, and, and, and then it trickles down, and you, you get... You get blessed as a city, but it takes a lot of work. And one person comes, sits in a meeting and asks for help. And we give the largest amount we can give without going beyond council approval, which is very generous. And it's a great organization that we need in the city. And their response was as though we insulted them. I'm thinking to myself, there are countless people in this community that would be thrilled by that. And I was upset. And then I sat on it and waited and waited and we want to have a meeting with you. Okay, we'll have a meeting. And I'm the mayor and I'm with the other council member and we've got an assistant city manager and, and it's going to be contentious. And I'm all day I've been asking the Lord to give me wisdom and patience. And you know, I read that thing until my heart just settled and I saw their vantage point. And I went in and I... We sat down, and, and before they'd arrived, I talked with the other council member, and they were concerned. I, this, this meeting could get rough. I said, I don't think so. And all of a sudden, we sat down, and I had the person I just shared with him. I said, you know, I totally get why you were frustrated. The work you do in this community and the idea, and if in any way, shape, or form I had I had given you the idea or any council member had given you the idea that we were going to support you in a larger capacity than what we did. First of all, I want to, I want to say I'm sorry. That was, I never intended to hurt you. 
And, and then with that understanding, what we gave, I don't know if you know this, but this is an enormous, government is not generous locally. And, and as we shared that, it's like all the, all the fire was gone. And they said, you know, I feel so much better. I said, I do too. And he said, I'm so sorry about kind of the caustic nature. I, I just, I was, I was hurt. I said, I imagine. I mean, the, the perception, I, I get it. And I know what you need to get this thing going and how important it is. And on our end, we felt as though we were so generous. And we were kind of offended on our end because of the way you responded to our enormous, what we thought was a great gift. Boy, isn't that crazy? I said, no. And we have to endeavor to keep unity because the, the community needs that. And, and it, was, it was profound. Well, this is, this is what Paul's saying. I was blown off course, and God used it together for good because had I come to you when I said I was going to come to you, it would have been ugly. It would have been really ugly. Now, can you bring up the slide that we, the Macedonia slide? Um, I don't know how to do it. Yeah, there we go. And I'm going to keep going through the slides. But in this picture, Paul wants to get to Corinth, but he's up in Macedonia. And he intended to go there first, then go up to Macedonia, and then come back down on his way back through. None of it came to fruition. Paul didn't get there. He's writing him this letter. He's sending people to, to teach them and encourage them. And, and Paul sees it for why God didn't allow it. And we started by asking the question, has it God ever blown you off course? And did it work together for good? Take a look at this photo. Um, so 1620, uh, that's the border between Virginia and New England. So south is Virginia. Uh, future New York is in purple right there. And then below future New York was the intended destination at the mouth of the Hudson River for the Mayflower. And the reason why is because uh, I want to I wanna get to, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Sorry about all the confusion. My notes are discombobulated. Where did I put them? Here they are. Um, this will work. Trust me. Hang in there. All right, we're ready. So when the Reformation happened, um, the Protestant Reformation, all of a sudden through the course of this, uh, there were only guilds, there were never companies. And if you wanted to, say, be a shoemaker, you had to join a guild. The king owned everything, and the guild were artisans that worked for the king. No one could have their own business. There was no such thing as companies. But when the Protestant Reformation occurred, all of a sudden they understood that wealth generated community and this idea of a free market and this idea of capitalism started to be established during the Protestant uh, Reformation. And so as it moves over into England, the king realizes these companies are making a fortune. And so they, they set up a couple of companies. One in particular was the Dutch East India Company. And as a result, these folks would come, they would invest in ships, they would send these ships, these wealthy merchants would send the ships. If they came back with wares and goods from India, they would up the price and the folks that invested in the ship that went and the captain would get a cut of it and the investors would get a cut of it. Merchants would have new material to be able to sell to folks in England that they can't grow and things that they bring in from India, spices and the like. And the king was looking at that and so he thought this Dutch East India Company is making a fortune. 
I need to do something like that. So the king sets up in England, he sets up what's called the Virginia Company. And, and he sends uh, these pilgrims to be a part of the, of the Virginia Company. And, and the king is going to get wealth coming from the New World. He, he doesn't have any investment in this other than he gives them the opportunity to land in his, his designated area that has been deemed ownership by the king of England. And so this, this group of, of pilgrims, and I don't want to go through the whole story of the pilgrims and who they are. You already get this. But they, they set sail, and they start heading um, to this, this, um, this destination that belonged to the king. And you can see it up on the screen. South of that line is Virginia, and this is owned. Uh, so the pilgrims are going to land in a king-run colony of Virginia. And as they start to head that direction, do you see that squiggly blue line above? You see that? It's actually a better squiggly line here. That's the route of the Mayflower. They get blown off course 500 miles. And they land in Massachusetts, which isn't in the Virginia colony, and it's not owned by the king. It's a stormy winter. The captain says, we've got to get down to Virginia. They try to press, and they push down, and the winds just blow them back. And, and this is, that peninsula there is what they call the ship graveyard. It's the Sandy Shoal Graveyard. And, and the fact that they make it back is miraculous. So they come into the harbor there in Cape Cod to get out of the storm. Uh, the ship gets stuck in a sense. They start to splinter up. Um, and, and the captain just says, look, it's too dangerous. Everybody off. And um, they basically look at each other and they go, we got a problem here. We're nowhere near Virginia. And the minute that we get off, we're not getting back because this boat is in trouble. Who's in charge of us? What are we going to do? How are we going to put this together? And uh, the whole world at this point is ruled by kings. 6,000 years of, of recorded history. Never before was there a representative form of government with the exception of a republic in Greece and, and in Rome, but, but now 6,000 years of, of recorded history, everything is ruled by a king. And they're thinking to themselves, we're, gonna, we're not going to land in a king-run colony. What are we going to do now that you're telling us to get off? And so they come up with a very unique um, solution. Here they are in the bowels of the Mayflower. They give them the authority, they give themselves the authority to start their own government. This uh, photo hangs in the rotunda of the Capitol. They're praying. You know what that book is they're opening, they have open? I'm sorry? Not just the Bible. What'd you say, Kim? And what's interesting about the Geneva Bible? Does anyone remember? Let, raise your hand if you would. You said something? What, what about the side notes? Raise your hand. Commentary, okay. On what? And what's found in the commentary of the Reformation writers in the Geneva Bible, anyone? It, it, was, it was a commentary on civil, civil government. Self-rule. 
And they had been studying this in the Reformation. They're now blown 500 miles off course. They're no longer the, under the authority of the king. They step foot on ground. First time in the history of the world. And here in the bowels of the ship, they began to pen what is called the Mayflower Compact. This is the beginning of it. It says, Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one of, and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic. Kind of interesting, yeah? Is that what's up there? Simple, revolutionary. It's a polarity change in world government. Instead of everything run top down by kings through their royal governors or whatever, it's bottom up. It's we the people. And I I wrote this down. I, I don't know if you think it is impressive as I did when I wrote it. All because God moved his servants by a storm, thus blowing them off course and landing them outside the king's Need an apostrophe there, the king's realm. All things work together for good with those who love God. You know, Paul, Paul was pointing out and instructing people that didn't like him or that were trying to arrest his authority. First of all, Paul needed to calm down and he knew the course correction was to allow him to settle. And you know what? Sometimes we think we're so right that we can be completely brutal. And the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And I'll give you a really cool picture of that. If you're fired up, you are not ready to engage anybody. Calm down. In your anger, do not sin. You know how you anger? In your, you know how you sin in your anger? By opening your mouth when you're angry. Just settle down. Wait until a peace that surpasses all understanding comes upon you and then address it. You also find, too, when you're not prepared to be personally offended. Paul, Paul knew God blew him off course because had he gone in there, he would have set him straight. I was sorrowful and you guys really upset me and I was going to tell you and give you the what for. And then God said, well, let's... Yeah, and then next thing you know, it's like, okay, I'll calm down. Can I go where I need to be? And the Lord brought him there. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. These pilgrims, you know, I, I imagine they were disappointed. It, no, nobody likes it when plans change. And, and yet, because of their relationship with the Lord, they sat down and they penned these phenomenal words that echo throughout all of written history that were used to create, and fascinatingly enough, we the people. It's a civil body politic. I was just with a whole bunch of high schoolers today, and I'll close with this. I was with a whole bunch of high schoolers today, and I I had a full day, and I got a request to come and do a mock city council with high schoolers. I've got church on, on, on Wednesday nights, it was a really short runway. I had a number of things I was dealing with. I had a couple of counseling appointments that weren't really scheduled but were critical. 
and I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, I'm not going to get a message done. And the Lord brings me into this room full of kids. And I was just going to do the introduction because I had a bunch of studying to do. I was just going to do the, hey, welcome everybody, and then leave. And the Lord clearly said, stay and instruct these, these young people on self-governance. And, and, and there they were. And they gave me the microphone, which was dangerous. And I said, does anyone know how many rights the U.S. Constitution gives us? Kids threw out numbers. I go, thank you for trying, but the answer is none. The Constitution doesn't give us any rights. And I said, does anyone know who the sovereign in America is? And I go, the president. I said, it's found in the first three words of the preamble. Do any of you know it? Preamble to what? The Constitution. Is that, uh, one kid goes, is that we the people? I go, yes. We the people. You're the sovereign. You're the king. Who's the king in Thousand Oaks? And they go, you, you're the mayor. I go, no, 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 you're not understanding. You're the sovereign. You know who I am? I am your representative that you have given consent to and authority to from your sovereignty to operate on your behalf. And do you know why they've given us a constitution? It's a statute. It's an immovable structure because all of you were born with inalienable rights. And if you're going to elect a representative, you, make, you need to make sure that anyone who comes and asks for your consent to govern on your behalf, because you're the sovereign, we the people, you have to ask them how many articles are in the U.S. Constitution. They can't answer you. Don't elect them. And you better know the answer when you ask them, by the way. And I said, does anyone know the population of Thousand Oaks? 132,000. I said, exactly. And I said, and there's five council members representing 132,000 people and we're going to make decisions on your behalf that will affect generations to come. And I'm 54, and you guys are only maybe 10 years behind to take these seats. And if you don't understand this, the rights we have are like muscles. If we don't exercise them, we're going to lose them. And I'm so thankful you're here because this isn't a class for you. You came of your own free will. And I am very impressed. And they each started to take turns. And you know what? When you set the stage that they can make a difference, the public comments were inspired. The presentations from the staff were inspired. The city clerk in taking the role was inspired. Every one of these kids taking these roles, and the one sitting behind the dais, even the, there were uh, three mayors. Two of the three were remarkable. The third was good, but not as remarkable as these two. And I'm looking, I'm going... I could step aside, and they're so excited about this. And they realize this idea that we need to protect, and it took me five minutes. But yet none of them had ever been instructed in that. And, and this was this, this blowing off course by the sovereign hand of God to move people 500 miles north of where they were supposed to land, that they would be outside the kings, and then... 3% of the world's population representing the greatest nation on the face of the earth in the history of all the world's population, we represent just 3%. More patents, more symphonies, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more wealth accumulated than any other nation on the face of the earth because we had one thing, and that's called freedom. Self-governance. And it all happened in the bowels of that ship that was blown 500 miles off course, ripped apart on the shoals, the sandy shoals right there in the ship graveyard, 
so that you're sitting here rightly dividing the word of truth and you've had a bad day and things didn't go the way you wanted? It didn't go the way Paul wanted either. It didn't go the way the church wanted. And because you've been blown off course a little bit, you want to get angry? Careful, God will blow you way off course so you can cool down. The idea is operate in sincerity. If you're angry, stay out the sea.